rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. That's a dollar, man. What? Welcome to Oakland. I need more money. We're not New York. Fine players. The money that we do. Hello, humans. Welcome to the M Word, the Manx Sports Podcast brought to you by Martin. That's me. And Matt. That's him. Hello, Matthew. Hello. We hit Zoom again. Yeah. You well? Yeah, not too bad. I spent a uh, day in the garden. I don't know if you can see for the people there. I've got a nice, oh, good nice. old Manx tan. YouTube, from, yeah, for those YouTubers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Manx tan. Being like, oh, man, I, I, uh, yeah, I'll be a lobster tomorrow, I'm sure. And when you fancy peeling that off, will that be Monday, Tuesday, you'll be peeling your skin off and going back to white? That's me, my annual sun allowance. We were zwifting outside then, were you? Oh, God, don't be silly. All oh, right, all oh, right. I'm surprised you had any time to go out with zwifting. Oh, no, I was just sat, sat in the garden. Oh, right, right. right. During work hours, I hope. Oh, I had, had the holiday. Oh, right, okay. Right. <laughs> Probably dopey, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, what you can call a holiday, getting in the garden now. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's typical, it's dead nice and you can't go anywhere. Uh, so just a quick shout out to our sponsors, Billboards, uh, Future Advertising, Digital Advertising, you'll see them around the Isle of Man. So get, go and see the guys, get your name out there, get your brand out there. And we all need marketing and get, getting our products out. So they're the guys to go and see. So I highly recommend that's billboards.im. Go and have a look at their website, Future of Advertising. So we're joined by Paul. Paul, thanks for your time today. Appreciate no it. Thanks for having us on. No worries at all. Just on the uh, introduction there, I don't know whether, Matt, you recognise the clip, particularly uh, from a movie. Yeah, Moneyball. Yeah, so I haven't seen the movie, but it'll become relevant why that clip was played, I think, as we chat a bit more to... But, a bit more to Paul about his background and what certainly what he's doing now. It's quite relevant, but it's a, a Brad Pitt movie. So uh, obviously my son double's been quite busy doing that. So uh, it's on my list to watch actually, because I think it's a, uh, it's a base bat baseball, I think, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, that's on maybe on the weekend list to watch. So, so yeah, so thanks for your time, Paul. So start off like we all do with all, all the podcasts is appreciate you're not on the Alaman now, but you are a Manxie. Are you a, uh, Come over, your Manx, Manx, or Manx is the hills? Yeah, I'm, I'm a come over, I suppose. Uh, so, moved over when I was four. Uh, so, okay. my dad came over for work uh, back in the back in the 80s. Oh. And then, uh, yeah, so stayed. So, initially, uh, moved to Castletown. And okay. then, um, after that, there for a year or two, obviously very young, then moved to uh, to Douglas, uh, to the Big Smoke. And uh, Where did you come from? Oh yeah, so it came from Birkenhead. Oh right, yeah, uh, so that's yeah, a yeah. Uh, a I'm not even proper scouts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you implying we're not a proper scouts? <laughs> we're all scouts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so early days or, or earlier days that you remember more so in the Douglas area. What schools were you around, Douglas? Yeah, so uh, I was at Fairfield. So that was my primary school. Right. Uh, so that was near the old hospital, and then uh, up to Balakmeen. Uh, for secondary so I lived literally around the corner uh, where the old gooseneck used to be right yeah, um, yeah. right and uh, you're in at that age early age were you then starting to get involved in sport yeah yeah so like mainly played football used to do swimming so okay. uh, used to like swim for the island uh, play football youth level with the island as well you don't okay. even know I was no great shakes at either of them but you know it was, it was good fun all the same I was just going to say, you're not one of those annoying people that are good at every sport then. 
Uh, I, I say yes, but everyone will tell you the truth, no. All <laughs> oh, right. The fact you're representing the island, you must have been a reasonable level, I guess. Yeah, reasonable at best, yeah. yeah right. And was that something you just, you just at that age, just enjoyed doing, or was it something your folks kind of wanted yeah. to keep you off the streets? Yeah, <laughs> the hard streets of uh, Douglas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it was something I just loved doing. I mean, everyone as a as a kid, you know, loves going out, mucking around with the mates, putting in a few tackles on on them <laughs> when you get a chance. Uh, <laughs> swimming was great fun at the time as well. Uh, you know, you look back and you think, how I was swimming four thousand meters right. uh, for like two hours? How was that fun? But you know, it was it was good crack at the time. So yeah, no, it was, it was all just uh, yeah. Good. I'm trying to think back, not knowing your age. Was that would that have been the NSE or the Aquadrome? Not to put a too Both. older age on you. Yeah, um, so good old Summerland and all that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like 33, 33 meters in a third or something like that, or thirty-three right. yards in a third. The pool used to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I do vaguely remember the. I do remember doing some. I'm going to call them swimming meets, but that's not quite the right term when you're no, like no, eleven. Right. Yeah, but yeah, well. throw, throwing in there to do them. Yeah, yeah. Before the. Yeah before they knock the place down. Uh, so so you, you mentioned about representing the Ireland. I presume you were playing for a local club as well. Yeah. So uh, when I was younger, I uh, played for St. George's. So okay. like played through the youth team. So I'm sure people on the Ireland know Tony Meepin. Uh, he's quite a well-known referee uh, back in the day. So he used to run the kids team. So I think it started when I was about five. You know, just uh, my dad was a mad Liverpool fan, wanted us to be the next Graham Sooness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely got that wrong. Didn't have the hair for it initially. <laughs> got the tash though as a kid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so went down, played with them, then played with uh, uh, Richard Clark, who again is, I suppose, quite well known football circles. Then uh, my dad, who's uh, called Dave Power, so he used to coach a lot of the youth teams. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, eventually played up with the first team with uh, Chris Bass. So that was the first year he took charge. And then um, also played for Old Boys as well, uh, Douglas High School Old Boys. Uh, right. For a sabbatical. Um, so that was the under, I think under 16s, and then played with the combi, and then a little bit with the first team when uh, Kevin Manning, so he was Ireland manager at the time, so uh, when he was manager over there as well. And I presume all through that phase, that was it was just ultimately a hobby for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, don't get yeah. me wrong. You'd always have that. You know, even now, I still think I've got the chance of making it. <laughs> <laughs> what position were you playing? Uh, yeah, left back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so gag. Not the glamorous one. Uh, um, but yeah, because I was reasonably tall at the time, I used to get, you know, put in at centre back. Or if uh, I was playing on a really poor team, I might get put as a wing back to be that creative outlet. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely a defender by trade. And then you obviously left the island then to go, I understand, to go to uni and study. So I presume, you know, obviously academic-wise, academic wise, you were fairly, uh, you know, bright to then go... Oh, you're shaking your head. Uh, uh, no. To then go off to uni. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, half intelligence. But um, <laughs> I originally applied to go to, to Liverpool John Moores to do football science. So I right. really wanted to get into coaching. You know, that that was what I really wanted to do when I was younger. Uh, but I massively failed my A-levels, you know, like uh, like got E's and D's and that. And then eventually um, I went through clearing, you know, so when everyone who fails, oh, yeah, yeah. have all the, all the crap places that's left. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, like my dad was reading through brochures and looked at, we remembered a guy coming over from Sunderland Uni to, to uh, Balakameen to do a tour. Like he seemed really sound. Read the program and he had what sounded like a good sports program. 
uh, phoned up uh, the uni and spoke to like the main lecturer, a guy called Mark Molyneux. Uh, obviously, his name stuck out because of uh, Wolves as well yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, where are you from? And I said, oh, from the Isle of Man. He goes, oh, Jerby. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, oh, the air show and all that. I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, you're more than welcome to come. Yeah. Didn't ask me any qualifications. <laughs> that, that was basically it. Jerby, steal the deal. Jerby. So, yeah, that, that's how we got into Sunderland. And then, yeah, like did sports coaching. Uh, what's then, that, a three-year degree, is it? Yeah, three years. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And so, how was you, yeah. like? Oh, sorry, go on, Matt. Yeah, I was just saying there when you mentioned um, it had interested you since you were younger. Did you use any of that when you were playing, trying coaching and pick up stuff, or did you form a kind of leadership role on the pitch then? Uh, people say I had a big mouth, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was doing my coaching quite young, so I used to help out because I mentioned before my dad, uh, he used to coach Geordies as well, so I used to help him. And then, you know, eventually started leading sessions. So this is, I think I was about like 14. So I just used to love it. So I just used to love the tactical side of the game. You know, obviously back in the day, um, it was uh, Football Italia on, you know, Channel 4. Yeah. So growing up with that, watching, you know, the Saki teams, uh, the Capellos, uh, Leapy teams, I just got really engrossed in tactics. Nice. Um, so reading like, you know, World Soccer, uh, 442. I used to yeah, love yeah. reading about like the Brazilian leagues and what was going on there. So, yeah, so I just thought I knew I was never going to make it as a footballer. So the next best thing could be if you can't play it, why not coach it? So well, that, that was the basic idea. When we were chatting to Paul Jones uh, on the mm-hmm. podcast, we talk, he was talking about similar of that, that tactical aspect. And I was saying to him, and maybe it's the same question, that I think I know sport or football. I can watch it. I think I know the tactics. But I probably actually don't. And then when you see real tactical managers like say Benitez being a Liverpool fan, you see Benitez who's very tactical orientated. I believe Klopp's very that that way focused and maybe we'll, we'll get into what you're doing now is very focused around that side of things. So I, I suppose the question is, I probably don't know anything about tactics really, do I, as a casual football fan? It's really interesting. So like, I've worked in in football at like, you know, the, the top end you'd call it for maybe seven years now. And uh, you go back and just watch a game as a fan and you're hearing everyone you know, you still get involved and, and jump up, but you just hear some stuff and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's all part of that education, you know, like you, it's really interesting. So I've been very fortunate to, you know, speak and work with a lot of managers across the globe. And you just understand how deeply these guys, A, love the sport, but just think about it. Oh. You know, even just the simplest thing now, you know, with the goal kick rule change. Go you know, so you can't. Um, you can now have two defenders in your penalty area. Oh, so, right. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know tactics. <laughs> or anything, <laughs> clearly. I don't even know that. Does so, this offside rule people talk? Yeah. No, no. Go on. I'll get the salt, pepper, and salt. <laughs> um, But, yeah, so even that has just radically changed people's thinking. And, like, you saw the debates managers were having. They were working on the training ground for weeks just on this one simple rule change. So, mm. I think a lot of people know football. You know, they really do. But there's just another level of knowledge. And then there's an even another level above that again with the truly elite guys. And, and when you watch games, can you, we, I mean, again, when you see, you know, just as a fan, you'd see movements within the, I call it the layout, but the, the formation of the team, you'd see that quite quickly, I assume, that type of thing. Yeah, you, you like to think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And yeah, once you get into it, you kind of know what changes are going to come, you know, yeah. and kind of what order, uh, what they should have done. 
you know, those type of things, you just start to get an eye for it because you're, you're involved in it a lot. Yeah, right, interesting. So so uni finishes, what was next on the cards? You know, Did you come back to the island after uni? No, no. Yeah. Um, so again, because I had this driving ambition to become a coach, uh, I kind of felt, so o- over the summer, there's lots of opportunities to coach in the UK. Um, so I was asked, a lot of people go to America to do uh, colleges to coach and do that, but I kind of actually felt that was almost cheating or it was too easy. I wanted to make it right. anyways. You know, okay. it's just the mindset I had. So I started coaching with Sunderland. Um, so I did work experience as part of my degree. Um, one thing was great. I uh, got to work with Sunderland and Newcastle Academies and also Sunderland goalkeepers. Okay. So they had, uh, unfortunately, he's, uh, he's, he's passed away, a guy called Tim Carter, who was Sunderland's first team coach. But this is when he had like to Tommy Sorensen, who was just exceptional. So this is when Sunderland were finishing like top seven uh, in the Premier League, not, not yeah. League One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I just ask there what you said? How yeah. come America, going to America was seen as easy? Is that because of their setup compared to England? Yeah, it just felt like everyone was doing it. And uh, it's probably snobbishness on my part looking back. And I, I wish I had gone for the experience. But I kind of felt like um, if I had to make it in England first, you, you know, not that I did make it uh, at all, really, for coaching, but that was just my mindset at the time that, uh, you know, I wanted to prove myself here. And then if it didn't work, that then I'd kind of, you know, take that other step or take that other route. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you mentioned there, Sunderland. Uh, was that, was who was in charge at that time? Around the time when you started there? I'm trying to think. Yeah, so that was uh, Peter Reid. Who was really When right, he was okay. there, yeah. yeah okay. So, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't really working with Peter Reid at no. all. You know, I was just a snotty-nosed kid. Uh, <laughs> he was coming in. Um, just mainly to get a free lunch from the canteen, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then in that, that as you as you learn that role, do you, do you particularly focus or and anyone do they focus on certain areas? So you might be a particularly a goalkeeper coach or a defensive coach, or do you get a broad range of everything? Yeah, a broad range of everything to right. start off with. So I, I was doing my coaching badges as well at the same time. So so their feet, their FA coaching badges, I see. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I passed me what's called a level two. So I think it's level three now, technically, uh, which is very much coaching like 6v6, small-sided games. But you touch a little bit on goalkeeping, but it's mainly all about you know the game and the game yeah. principles. Uh, and then I, I did my yeah, UA for B license, so that, that's where I stopped in the end. Uh, I got that yeah. one as well, 22, 23, uh, over on, in Newcastle's uh, foundation. Um, yeah, but... Uh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, and is that then age groups you're, you're, you're doing that with? Is it, is it doesn't matter... Yeah, so back in the day, it's changed a lot. So, I mean, this was a good 18 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Uh, but initially it was, so like you're under, like your level two is very much like that under 12 principle. And then your UA for B was that kind of under 16s. All right, okay. And then UA for A was like, you know, under 23s through to your first team, basically. And then you'd have your pro license, which you have to have now if you want to manage in, you know, one of the top top leagues. All oh, right. Okay. Right. Interesting. So, the uh, that that then that leadership role of th- within those again, I suppose touching on what Matt, Matt mentioned earlier within those sessions and those uh, badges. That's again something just naturally if you find easy enough to do. Yeah, I think um, so. Like looking back, it probably actually came from moving to old boys uh, back okay. in the day. Um, so again, because I was quite tall, uh, you know, in the reserves, or reserves, so with the combi, uh, I used to get put at centre-back, you know, so I was like 16, uh, playing, you know, with men. 
And, you know, particularly from the back, you have to impose yourself and you have to dominate. And that's all, all like the managers, the players were just telling me, you've got to speak up, you know, so kind of from being quite quiet, came quite loud, uh, and got progressively louder and louder. Yeah. And that's, you know, led through into like the coaching space right. as well. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so at the time, so over that, well, how long were you at Sunderland for doing the... So overall, so oh. in various roles, so I wasn't always a, you know, a, a coach with, you know, the, the academy or whatever, but mm-hmm. so you know, six years, six, seven years. All right. Okay. Like a lot of it was also working on the community side. Um, so I was actually like going into schools, coaching there, uh, did a, uh, some stuff with the, what were called development centers at the time, which are like the feeders into the academy. Okay. Um, but I, I actually led a program called Family Learning. Um, so interestingly, I love it. I used to love it. It was brilliant. So uh, it was basically working in you know quite uh, you know deprived areas. Uh, so Sunderland's quite a deprived city. Uh, you know, lo- love it. It's a great city. Um, but uh, there was like quite back in the day, uh, like dropout of adults from education was quite high. So uh, the idea was just to use football to re-engage parents to come into school, play football with the kids. But you know, you'd go through you'd dress it up as like coaching principles, you know, learn how to be a coach, but a lot was kind of like parents and techniques. Okay. But then we then go into stuff doing like about literacy, you know, about numeracy, about, you know, cooking, stuff like that. Right. And it, yeah. it was class. So yeah, I, I did that for a long time as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that sounds, uh, that's good. That. Um, so judging from that then, when you're, was it UA for B? Sorry, you got mm-hmm. to there. So yeah. it's kind of like how I guess relating it to work is that you're still doing a day-to-day job in that yeah. sense, but at the same time studying towards getting your next grade in that sense. So once you hit that UA for B, you were still doing your coaching role in that sense. You just didn't kind of go towards the A or for whatever reason didn't. You know, you, it wasn't just when you were employed, you were employed to get to that next step in that sense. There's no. still a broad range of um, responsibilities and tasks. Yeah, so so for that, in terms of the coaching, I you know I fully funded myself. Well, I say myself, me, me parents paid for it. <laughs> you know that, that was on me as opposed to work paying for it. Right. Uh, but at the time, I was also like coaching the university team at Sunderland. So um, you know, initially, uh, you know, third team when I used to play as well. Then the university employed me to work with the first team, you know, and try and help them go through the levels as well. Um, yeah. yeah, and and that that that. Development work in the community, is that some, something that Sunderland and all clubs are kind of just do as part of their sort of, you know, social yeah. responsibility for the one of a better a lot, of them, a lot of them did, uh, but Sunderland were like one of the first clubs to really push it. So they had uh, what's called Sunderland Foundation, which is massive in the city. Like it raises millions uh, of pounds and does huge amounts of education. You see a, a lot of other clubs, so Everton have a phenomenal programme. Uh, Man City do as well like all of them have them now but like maybe 10-15 years ago it was like Sunderland Everton and, and Manchester City were just exceptional uh, with right. what they did yeah right okay okay interesting so, so you, you mentioned when we were chatting earlier that uh, when that role or you went then went off to work for the council Sunderland yeah council. So what made you sort of you kind of felt you'd run your cause at Sunderland yeah, definitely. So again, it was more, you know, because it was more that, you know, community elements. I loved what I did, but I, I kind of took that project so far. Um, right. 
and for me I wanted to work you know with kind of work with more people work across more sports and obviously the Olympics were coming uh, to London at the time um, so I was like yeah this just sounds great and he had an opportunity to be um, sports development manager it was uh, so that was kind of looking after you know performance pathways school sports building facilities so like went from you know knowing how to coach kids and then to like suddenly doing European OU processes for you know building tenders you know building swimming pools oh, right. okay. football facilities oh, big step oh. yeah. yeah sorry <laughs> no did you say that a big step yeah yeah it was crazy I didn't have a clue what I was doing still didn't <laughs> by the end of it you know <laughs> but it, it was great <laughs> and was that something that was that to do with the bids sort of logic you know my stupid logic thing for you in Sunderland what's got to do with the Olympic bid in London I assume this yeah so at the time so um, so Sunderland was offering itself to be like uh, well first of all there was a huge amount of funding put in to build all these huge facilities okay. so uh, Sunderland was lucky enough to get money to build a 50 metre swimming pool which is uh, okay. quite rare so you know we had the chance to build this world class swimming programme which was really exciting but um, they were also looking to like host a number of countries there. So they had like uh, swimmers from Colombia. Um, oh God! Like uh, some uh, some places from the Caribbean came over, stuff like that. Right. So that that was just you know the opportunity. So that, in that scenario, what they're looking at is when they come over for the Olympics, they they stay in outside of London, and one of the and obviously they need facilities wherever they stay, and that's part of that. Exactly. As well as then, I guess, building a legacy in Sunderland of having a pool that will exactly. bring the next you know, swimmer through. I was going to try and name a swimmer then. I should do. <laughs> we had Lee Holland on a few days ago. But, oh, nice. Uh, uh, Petey. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There's one. Yeah. Uh, Morehouse. He's an old one, isn't he? <laughs> so how long was that role with Sunderland Council? Yeah, so that again, four years. Right. Yeah, around about four years. So Must that- have done a lot in that time, I assume. Yeah, huge amount. Again, really fantastic role. You know, you're working with tens of thousands of people. Um, so got to work on like England's World Cup bid as well, which was right. phenomenal. Um, what year were they trying to bid for that? So that was the 2018 bid. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, still feel a bit bit bitter about that. <laughs> not, not winning <laughs> it uh, to the Qataris. Uh, but that was just a phenomenal experience. Uh, so got to... Got to like really know, well. Actually, no. New sounds a bit uh, big headed already. New Neil Quinn there, but uh, I got to know uh, Steve Cram. Oh, uh, okay. So like we shared a, a taxi or a car the way down to Manchester. He had like a big do for everyone, and like from that we ended up uh, getting a marathon in Sunderland. So he was oh, right. in Newcastle. Oh wow! Okay. You know, look, come to Sunderland. You know, you're a Sunderland fan. So yeah. let's get that set up. So being able to do stuff like that was was great. Like. Yeah, okay. And that, that, that role, is that then, was you'd, as a the development manager, you, you're coordinating, so if there's tenders going in, you're just pulling the right people together to get what you need together to, you know? Yeah, so uh, a lot of it was writing it myself as well, okay, right. bits, uh, but also, you know, writing development pathways, going out, assessing what we're doing and coaching quality, working with schools to try and improve standards. So yeah, it was it was a really big big task. Yeah, and that's across a broad range of sports. Everything. Oh right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> was there yeah. a team? I assume there's obviously a team of you doing this. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the core team itself was relatively small, so you might have had maybe ten. But okay. you could have Senior management down to like your development staff, but obviously 
that then goes across to your leisure centres and you know your, your coaches and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so that that role comes to an end. What, why did that end? And yeah, so that came to an end because of the financial crisis. Okay, so we're oh eight, oh eight, oh nine time. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I won't get political, but obviously the Scottish <laughs> government came in and huge cuts had to be made. So I think the city had to make sixty million pounds worth of savings in three years. Wow! Like right. that, uh, yeah. At the department, so I had to help help uh, save like two and a half million pounds in a right. couple of years. So that meant mass redundancies, shutting facilities. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a real shame, and you know by then. Uh, there was an opportunity to apply for redundancy and okay. everything just got too political for us. And I was right. like, no, this isn't right for me. They were offering a very good redundancy and I knew it would like maintain me, me and my wife and that for uh, for a year. Right. And I just suddenly had this chance, you know, I'd never get it again. I've got one year to retrain, completely change my career, change our life. So let, let, let's go for it. Yeah, okay. And what, what triggered, what? well, yeah, what started that? Money ball rolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, initially, when I was working with the council, I was doing a lot of coaching as well. So, like. Yeah, I meant to ask actually, in that role, were you doing much coaching, having sort of, or were you moved away yeah. from it? Yeah. So, it's completely separate from the council. Uh, so, but I was like coaching. Um, so, there's a team called Burtley, um, which is in uh, the northeast. So, uh, I think if you know Durham, uh, Chesley Street area, it's up around there. So I was coaching with them, um, so that they were a reasonable standard. Uh, and then, you know, I was asked to do other coaching with other groups, uh, with youth players. Uh, you know, really young volunteer kids. work. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was interesting because like the amount of kids who then got taken into all the academies in the northeast was was massive. So mm, it right. was actually a real hotbed because um, we had a lot of great coaches. But it was the ethos we had was about just letting the kids play. You know, right. so it wasn't a case of, you know, drilling the kids. It was like, you know, setting up games with certain challenges and tasks. So you like let the task guide the discovery of the players. Um, yeah, okay. You know, and then you'd make slight changes. And it was class, like you had about, well, I think we had like 120 kids playing uh, every weekend. Just right, on like a couple of massive fields, literally just cones down, <laughs> off you go. Parents mm. weren't allowed to talk. Um, you know, huh. you just played. You know, you, a little kid was brilliant. Put them up against the big kids, you know. You brought the other ones down, yeah. So a guy, a guy called Ian Dipper, who um, actually employed me initially at Sunderland. So uh, he's a, he's a great coach. He works with Sunderland Academy uh, as well. Uh, he brought through, uh, do you know, the likes of Jill Scott. He plays for England uh, women's. Okay. Right. So he, like he was a massive influence in the women's game. Produced right. a lot of England players there as well. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I was doing this coaching on the sides, working, you know senior level what with men's game and then working with the youth game and then I just started uh, reading a guy I don't know if you know a guy called Michael Cox writes for the Guardian okay uh, he had a blog a blog called has a blog called uh, Zonal Markin so that's what he's known as and he started doing all these like tactical writings like tactical blogs they were brilliant so it was around the time Guardiola you know was at Barcelona and it was just that you know probably if not the one of the greatest teams ever so, you know, reading all that kind of inspired me to, you know, think more about the game, you know, as a whole. And then uh, I started writing simple blogs about coaching, talking about the principles we were applying with the youth teams, started getting a lot of followers that way on Twitter. Okay. And then, um, yeah, then this Michael Cox, uh, Zola Markin, uh, mentioned about Moneyball one day in one of his blogs. I was like, we'll give this a read. 
was reading everything at the time. And yeah, it was about baseball and about how um, a team called the Oakland A's had like the smallest budget of all the teams. So you're talking like, like in football terms, you've got Man City or soon to be Newcastle potentially. You know, <laughs> these guys have got you know countries funding them. Uh, but right at the bottom, you know, you've got like Burnley. You've got a local guy who's who's done good, and that's exactly what this Moneyball was. You had like the LA Dodgers and all that. They had a payroll of say 250 million a year. And the, the Oakland days had around about 38 million competing right. in the same league. You know, it's an unfair game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you watch that film, interestingly, uh, the company that provided the data is the company I work for now. Uh, right, okay. That's how it started, a guy called Bill James, which, again, is really cool that you, you kind of link to that legacy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the whole idea is they use data and statistics to kind of you know, find all these unwanted players because they either look funny or they might have had a bit of a funny arm action, or you know they, they had a fat arse, something like that, yeah. and everyone would ignore them because they just didn't pass the eye test. Yeah, okay, right. But they knew statistically these guys had something, so they were able to bring them in on really cheap contracts, uh, you know, keep their budgets really low, and basically beat, you know, or compete with all the big boys, basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I I do want to watch me do. I kind of want to talk about what happened in the story, but I suppose I should, shouldn't do a, a spoiler movie. I haven't only read it on Wikipedia or wherever it was. But, uh, so yeah, how, it. How, does, how does from going and looking at Moneyball take you on to the next step then? Yeah. So like reading that, uh, what it just came to me is like, there's this whole world of statistics. And for me, it was about evidence-based coaching. So how do you know what you're doing on the training pitch works? So, you know, we see something, you know, at the, at the weekend, but how do you know you've uh, enabled the best possible learning environments? So, you know, it could be, and like, this is some of the research I started to get into. So there's a really great Portuguese group and um, they look at, uh, so this is what I got into is something called uh, complex dynamic systems uh, theory. Uh, so to describe it very simply, you all see like flocks of birds, or shoals of fish, that's a dynamic system. And they all have simple rules that govern the behavior. So it looks like it's one organism, but it's not. It's like hundreds, thousands, but they have simple rules that govern what they do. So i.e., if I'm here and you're there, we keep our distance. But if the next one moves, I move, you move. So we all keep this like synchronized uh, distance okay. and movements. Like social so, distancing now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so but these guys were looking at stuff about uh you know training practice so just simple warm-ups so you'd have like a square and you'd have you know player a pass to player b you know so you always see this classically people pass one two then the other two pass uh so they measured that to see well how how similar is this to gameplay and then they did the same way you had like you know passing across each other and then passing all over and then having what's now known as rondos. So you have a guy, piggy in the middle, guy in the middle, you know, and you pass the ball around them. But they were able to actually evaluate it using data to say, actually, these rondos are the best method to use because they best replicate the actions that the player's going to do in a match. So were you, using, were you using this in your coaching going forward then? It kind of had the, uh, not so much a light bulb, but a different way of looking at co the coaching you were doing and thinking, actually... I can literally apply a different way of thinking, looking at Moneyball and the statistics yeah. behind it and saying, right, how do I bring it into what I'm currently doing? 
Exactly. Yeah. So that that's exactly you know what what started to do. What I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, as nobody does when they first start. But it's when so that that kind of inspired us to say, right, this is you know real analysis. I get this. I'd never done it before. Hadn't even really used Excel properly before. Uh, so like you know, just do simple addition. But I thought I, I understand this. This feels right. So um, yeah. So applied to Sunderland University again to do a masters. I got my redundancy. It's like a Craig David song. Got my redundancy on the <laughs> Thursday. Uh, I got me check on the Friday, and then on the Monday afterwards, I signed up for uh, for university. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Fairly, going uh, on and doing that course uh, was obviously life changing. But you know, finding out about this dynamic systems. So uh, originally, I was going to do psychology. Uh, you know, sports psychology. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, but the lecturer was pretty boring, so he put me off it straight away. Then uh, just one day I was researching for a lecture, uh, not for a lecture, for a uh, piece of coursework, and I found this uh, this article, this journal paper called uh, Analyzing Sports Teams as Superorganisms. Uh, first uh-huh. of all, I had to make sure I read that right. And then, um, and then it was talking about this dynamic systems, uh, you know, chaos theory. It's like, bloody hell, what is this? Uh-huh. And... Uh, yeah, it's like sod counseling shots. This is where it's at. You know, how do I understand the complex interactions between uh, agents, which is basically, you know, players? Uh, That's what it was termed at the time. So just got deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And then this really started to shape. Uh, So you you got something called um, ecological psychology as well, uh, which is kind of part of dynamic systems theory, but how it influences uh, your mental processes. Okay. Simple thing like you know, two people walk towards each other. You know yeah. what do you do? Yeah, you know, step out of the way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, unless you're an absolute idiot. You know, <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, but your your you know your behaviour is governed by the environment, and yeah. you will have certain ecological. Uh, it will have an ecological impact on what you do. So just simple things like uh, you can try it now. So there's something called uh, being in phase and out of phase. And if you try and wiggle your fingers, you can't not get them going like that. So you start off going side to side like a windscreen wiper, but you keep on wiggling them. And then eventually they find this phase where they're like more going in and out. So even with the body, you have these dynamic constraints that govern what you do. So if we can take these principles, design a session, that should speed up learning and then make it more relevant to what you actually do on the pitch or how you want to condition the player to be able to think about certain situations. Okay, so that's, yeah, so that's like a, I mean, it is psychology in there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and just, and a way, and is it seen then as a way of training people quicker? Yeah. Or just yeah. training people who just couldn't do it to start with? Or So it's, it's kind of both. So it's uh, training people quicker, but um, without instruction is the way to think of it. And it, okay. it's really mad. So when I was doing stuff, you know, with the, academies and that um was always told so on the pitch you're told to speak up but when you coach you're told to shut up right <laughs> because the more you tell the players yeah, what yeah. to do the less they know what to do okay yeah right because you're just injecting your uh, your information they're not solving the problem so obviously right. when you see like elite level yes you know there is elements of that and you know adults but you know particularly when you're developing kids how can you set the problem for them to solve okay yeah and it's kind of a wiring of the brain then to work on a 
problem solving basis rather than an instruction basis, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And that's all, that's all then based on, how can I put it? What you say before, so an example before the game. So, so if you're, so if you're then analyzing or you're trying to get them to improve, you go back to the situation where you talk about uh, four, four people in a square mm -hmm. and someone in the middle, that, that technique then by people using that technique, it's because it's an in-game situation. It just subconsciously trains the brain quicker. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, okay. it becomes a reaction. Right. So okay. It doesn't, be, it doesn't become a thought process. And this is what you see with the truly great teams and truly great players and the teams who are good, but not up there. You yeah. know, and I always go back to that Barcelona team under Guardiola. Uh, you know, Liverpool under Klopp, you know, even though I'm a red and a bit biased, you know, they are phenomenal. Um, but it's come from, you know, repetition, repetition, having to solve problem after problem after problem. So that when it comes onto the pitch, it's just automatic. And I, if, if you ever go back and watch, you know, the days of Iniesta, Xavi, Messi and David Villa, uh, the, the term half-touch got introduced because they weren't even fully touching the ball. Like right. the ball will come to them and they'll just do a little, you know, just a little waft of the foot, but it just completely changed the dynamics. And the other person already knew where it was because they, they're able to recognise situations might necessarily have that exact situation coached into them, but because they've been involved in so many and can problem solve so quickly, it just looks instantaneous. Right, okay. So at that very elite level you're looking at, obviously everyone's probably pretty much as fair as each other. These are the small edges that makes the difference. Yeah. And do you see that when you again, watch games and, and watch football in general? You can, is that where you see those differences? Where? Oh, yeah. And you see it at every level. You know, oh. even, even at five side down the local you know, centre, you, you see the player who's just at that notchable, uh, you know, because they're, they're thinking two steps ahead of, of the other players on the pitch. Right. The okay. ultimate offer is messy, basically. And it, it, it's some, some of that, so obviously you can tr train people in that. Some people just built, built in that mindset already better than others. Yeah. You know, I think Shankly said, um, you know, what is it that uh, he didn't make the player it was his mum and dad you know the player's right. mum and dad who made the player and you know it's, it's genetics it's quite interesting because I've got uh, twin boys uh, right. who, who are both three now and you can see the difference between them so genetically they should obviously be you know virtually exactly the same but one is much better at coordination and movements than the other one right okay and he just picks up things so much quicker uh, so what that's down to no, I don't truly know. I haven't treated them differently, but he just picks up things quicker. Yeah, that's interesting, that because then, yeah, you wonder how that applies if they're, you know, they've got the same genes, if they're twins, that obviously you're never going to follow the exact same path, but you'd think they'd have the same principle learning techniques and habits, but clearly not. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. So being a dad now, but having all that, you know, past experience of coaching and, you know, that research that you've kind of got in the back of your head. Yeah, sometimes it's quite hard to just, you know, <laughs> just yeah. learn rather than, you know, step in and, you know, do those type of uh, things as well. Yeah. Is it a bit like, I suppose, thinking about, you know, if you've got staff as well, it, it, again, you, you tend to deal with staff in different ways. Some need a, a, a hug, you know, some need to kick up the ass. Is that still that, that same principle, say you're doing football oh, with yeah. the players? And that's kind of outside of that that sort of psychological side or, or building those yeah yeah that, that's the whole man management you know of okay. the individual. yeah yeah a hundred percent yeah right so so the master you did how long did that take you 
Uh, so that took 12 months to do. Right, okay. Yeah, so like during the Masters, uh, went back to Sunderland again, uh, but this time it was uh, doing uh, analysis with the first team and the U teams. So, um, so that was... So you're starting to apply what you're learning here in the environment? Ironically, not so much. Uh, right. So I was, I was just a video analyst. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was a great experience and one I needed for my CV. But, uh, you know, maybe because you just, again, viewed as, you know, this guy's just come in. So a lot of people have changed by the time I've gone in there uh, again. But you just kind of viewed as a video analyst. And I don't think people really realize, you know, what you could offer. All right. Uh, it, only, it, it was eventually one conversation I had with the coach who was like the phase lead for the under-16s. And uh, there was a piece of research coming out of Germany about being able to um, to actually capture creativity to be able to quantify it. Okay. And using something called a, a neural network, which is the type of things we work on now. So neural networks are basically models that uh, look to basically copy the principles of the brain. So you have uh, neurons in the brain and that they're all bundled together and that's you know what fires off your electrical impulses that you know make up you and me basically so that's what these models are based on is the brain and they felt that they were able to kind of capture you know creativity by using these networks because they could see these different paths you know from the norm and stuff like that when you when you just to go when you say capture what do you mean by capture so um so you can train a, a, a model. So this is, this is my day job now, uh, where you, you train a, a model to kind of predict something that's going to happen. Okay. So, you know, it could be, you know, the simplest one is if somebody takes a shot, will somebody score? You know, that, that's the simplest thing. But the more complex thing is, uh, and I don't know, there's like a, a drama on at the moment on BBC2 called Devs, um, which is quite terrifying, but interesting. It's kind of what we're trying to do in our job is uh, basically given how a player moves, can you predict not just how he moves next, but how everybody else will move as well. Right. So, you know, we're trying to basically replicate human decision-making um, right. wow. time windows, which, yeah, sounds a bit terrifying, but it's, it's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what we're, we're doing on well, that. Maybe dig into that in a bit more yeah. in, a, in a little bit just to go back to the analyzing side of thing what what's involved in that when or as Sunderland what was involved with I presume watching videos and then going yeah this is how they play move and is it more of an overall kind of team when when this position they sit four four you know dead simple but they'll sit four four two or that yeah. but this you know this left back doesn't always tuck in so there's a space here type of thing 100 percent so that, that's job. what it is yeah. <laughs> other words so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and then you'd incorporate some statistics into it as well okay um, and I've conceded X amount goals from corners types exact, of things exactly yeah, near post whatever right yeah so I suppose, so, what, I suppose what you do now then was that you look back now was that quite or look, you look at the back of that now and think that's quite basic stuff oh yeah uh, I mean I'm sure it wasn't at the time and isn't, but as te- you know, as, as our whole philosophy moves on, yeah. and and you know what Pep was doing five years ago, nobody was doing twenty years ago, I guess. So you know, yeah, natural yeah. progression. So I don't mean to undermine what you were doing then. Oh no, look, it was it was pretty basic, uh, but it you know football is a basic game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it just made it very complex. Um, so you, you know people still use a lot of video now. Uh, you know, which you should do because you have to watch it. You have to trust your eyes as well. Um, but the, the biggest thing for me back then is that you had, um, like, you know, you see if you're watching a, a match and it tells you how far somebody's ran, 
uh, there was a company called Prozone at the time who was generating that. So they're based in Leeds, where I live now, you know, who, who I eventually went on to work for. So you had uh, what's called tracking data. And this tracking data would generate like this 2D pitch plot. So you remember like sensible sensible soccer back in the day and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. So you had these dots that moved on the pitch, but it was the actual movement of the players. So you're actually able to capture that. Uh, but the only way it was used was to actually measure how far somebody ran. Okay. And how hard they'd ran. I just remember reading all this dynamic system stuff and coaching and that. And I was like, we need to be able to use this to measure tactical behavior and stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah, I was really frustrated about the industry as a whole at the time. So right. I wrote to Prozone or emailed um, and said, look, I've got this idea for measuring uh, player attractions, basically. So, um, you know, if I'm a center forward, but I never received the ball, but I make a run, I pull the defender out of position, the ball gets played through for the other striker to score, I will never, ever get any credit. Yeah. Because the stats only tells you player A is past the player B and player B is put it in the net. Yeah, yeah. And actually, this guy's the most important member. So, yeah, so how do we space. Board in? Yeah, right. Exactly. So they, they liked the idea. They sent me a load of this tracking data, which, I, again, I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I had this concept in my head. So, like, for the tracking data, you get, uh, it's like GPS. Uh, so you get an X and a Y coordinate for every uh, tenth of a second. So you know where everybody is at any uh, moment in time. Um, and can I ask what format is this data in, is it? Yeah, so it's, it's in a, so like an Excel sheet. Okay. So just a massive Excel sheet. There's other versions of it, so other viewers who might work in like IT or uh, data science, like stored in JSONs or something called Parquet and stuff, which isn't free running. Um, uh, so yeah, there's lots of different ways of stored. Um, yeah, so we kind of had these simple things and then basically I was going through and finding these situations where you, know, you might have a 2v1 or 5v4 and just starting to try and come up with a way to measure if a player stands still versus move what does that actually do so did you, did you have like um the visual footage of the matches as well yes. or, or, i was gonna say because i'm just while you're yeah, talking likewise you know, yeah, yeah. That must have, that must be difficult. Just looking at sets of data to work out what is going on. <laughs> Even that must be massive to go through and then work out. Yeah, so that, that's situation. actually ironically probably what I do more now. I probably look at more data now than I do look at video. <laughs> right. Yeah, we always go back to video because you've got to validate it. You know, you yeah. might have a model and you go, "Yeah, this is brilliant," but then you look at the video and go, "Oh, Jesus!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So you always have to go back to the video. Um, but yeah, so to give an idea, so there's like um, 3 million points of data for every game that you get. Uh, but that's, that's a big spreadsheet. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, so anyway, uh, I came up with this concept, you know, using this dynamic systems principles and kind of discovered you had attractors, uh, repellers, I called them, and then um, attractors, repellers, and I think I called them slices or something like that. You know, you try to come up with these catchy names. Yeah. So like an attractor is someone who, you know, if they stand still or whatever to go, people just come towards them, you know. So man marking type of. Exactly. Exactly. You have repellers who um, basically move and can find space. And then you had like what term slices and they can just run through and nobody will ever pick them up. You, right. you know, just, just like Thomas Muller. Is a, is a great example for Bayern Munich. He's probably the greatest of our, our current generation to do right. that. And what, 
And is that, so can you, la- would you label, so in a game, do you end up, or when you've analysed the game, you, you, that, do, those players will get those, for the one of better word, those labels. That's the right And term. then you'll yeah. tend to see that, you'll tend to see that same label through games because using the example there, that's just what he does. Yep, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah. I know, I'm not wanting to try and go too deep into it either, but if, oh, I am. If, if Muller there is a well-known slicer, why does he not become an attractor then? If everyone knows that when he goes through, you do not leave him, why, why is he not an attractor? Because it's, uh, he has other players, you know, so he had Robin. He had Ribery, oh, had okay. Lewandowski. They were in the... And that, that's the beauty. So th- this is the work that I'm doing now. So we can now identify these different roles of players. But what's the optimal combination of these roles? Go on back to Oakland Athletic. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's all clicking together now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, so you mentioned there that year, Masters, you're doing some work analysing. Yeah. And you wrote to... So when you wrote to, uh, wrote to the guys and they sent you all that data, and when you sent it back, I assume that got, because you mentioned, well, that's where you work now. Yeah. I, I presume that got you on their radar. So interestingly, it wasn't, it wasn't that, because mm-hmm. I hadn't finished it yet by the time they'd offered us a role, mm-hmm. uh, which was cool as well. But I'd started blogging and writing about this dynamic systems theory. So they used to like um, put out the top 10 blogs in a month or whatever, and they picked up a couple of mine. Which was right. They knew my name that way as well. Yeah. Uh, they used to do um, like analysis courses. So you, you go, went down to Liverpool, John Moores, and uh, you'd have like two days there and they'd show you how to use the software. So like all the clubs at the time used it and it was great. But then you had to do like an analysis piece as well at the end, like, you know, as part of your coursework to be assessed on. And uh, I did a few things like you, you look back now and it's so simple, but, you know, it kind of caught the eye of the tutor. Right. And at the end, uh, the guy basically said to us, oh, you know, uh, we do internships, so would you be interested in it? So I was like, 100%, because I was coming to the end of my master's and the end of my money, and <laughs> I was thinking, how the hell am I going to live? So yeah. they offered us this, and I said to him, oh, by the way, you know, I wrote in, you know, about doing this research that I'm still doing, and he was the guy who actually approved it. Oh, right, okay. So I was like, oh, you're that guy, and then, yeah, right. you know, one of those, you know, yeah, yeah. amazing things that happens. So, yeah, so they offered me an internship initially uh, to, right. to go down to Leeds, yeah. Before we dig into that, then the, the, it's quite interesting actually just listening because at the end of when you're given that redundancy, I, I could be wrong, but I think most people will be whether they could find a job. The next instincts to go, I've got a year out or I've got a year, I, I need to go and find another job and be pretty set on looking for another job. But you kind of it's quite ballsy, I feel, to go, you know what, I, I need to go and develop and learn more and, and use it to enhance myself. And I guess when you're looking at, again, I look at. Your personal PR, we'll call it, with doing the blogs, putting yourself out there, voluntary work, that's all kind of very uh, very driven work, you know, as an observer, very driven uh, characteristics. Yeah. On your um, Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but, you know, you know like, stuff that my parents have drilled into is, you know, if you have a dream, you've got to go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, simple as that. And, yeah. you know, it sounds really corny, but... You know, no, well, a good thing, and I hope it, it, people listen, you know, listeners, and it's something I, I certainly pick up just listening to you that, you know, again, it's easy just, like I say, to go, oh, be made redundant, I need to find another job, but you've gone, right, no, what do I want to do? I've got a bit of, bit of leeway with money here. Uh, some people could have gone, well, I need to stick in the bank, get a job as quick as possible, and then have that as my fallback, but instead you've, you know, presumably with the support of your wife, have gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Massively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's very well supported now, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, like you know, back in the day when I, you know, saying I failed on me, me, um, me A levels basically, like the teacher back then, uh, you know, I won't say who he was, but he said to us, he knew I had this passion to be a coach. Said you'll never be anything in England as a right. football, which is probably why, looking back at that again, why I didn't want to go to America because you know what to kind of prove it, prove him wrong. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think you know little situations like that. Obviously, you know, I'd, I'd fire or I'd call to the fire to. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I do see that sometimes in people where certainly not being, you know, they've had those little, you know, pushes earlier in life or, or kicks down, and they've used it as motivation to yeah. to, to prove. Big believer, yeah. if you if you go out and work hard, you know, fortune does favour the brave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And even if it might be so. Like get getting a job at Prozone, you know, sounds like oh, you know, everything's just worked out. But I'd applied for several, so like there, there was even a job I applied at a, another Premier League club, and they were offering like eight grand. So like, you know, eight grands a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's technically not even legal, um, <laughs> and I didn't even get that job. Yeah, you know? right. And then it was mad. So like six months later, I was consulting to them. <laughs> oh right, okay, yeah, right, right. <laughs> It was one of those like, oh, they like oh, Paul Power. And yeah, yeah, no, I applied. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, that was a blessing because if I had gone to the club, I just would have done video analysis. Right. I would never have gone on this path that I have now to be, you know, yeah, you know, being, yeah. being in a very fortunate position. Again, that's that just that drive, isn't it? Like again, you can get knocks and just kind of go, oh, maybe this isn't for me, or you know, start doubting yourself. You're sending your CV off, and people aren't picking it up. But uh, if you just keep keep trying, and again, all the motivational stuff I listen to for, you know, I suppose famous people you hear about, it's, you know, failure or knockbacks, probably the most important thing of the whole process. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to get those opportunities. So so you started the internship. Internship, mm. is that the right word? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and was that for a set period of time then initially? Yeah. So that was going to be for 12 months. Mm. Um, fortunately, they offered me a job in six. So right. over the moon with that. Um, but yeah, that was class. So again, I'm very, very lucky. So if I had have come into the industry now, um, like with what I had back then, I wouldn't get a job. Simple as that. Like with the level of people they're bringing in now. Um, but at the time... In the sense of when you came into it, it was fairly new. It was an evolving area. Yeah, nobody really knew what it was. So like the guy, the the, the statistician in Moneyball is a, an economist. So okay. Prozone hired you know, an economist. <laughs> yeah, like, right. oh, well, that must be the answer. Uh, yeah, the, right. the guy was great. He's gone on to set up another company with another guy and he does brilliant stuff like uh, now works with um, people to help buy clubs and, and stuff like that. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so initially they brought myself on. There was another guy called Hector Ruiz. So he's from Spain uh, and then gives it away a bit. But he <laughs> has like an engineering background, uh, mathematical uh, computation, very, very, very smart guy. So it was me, another guy called Omar, who went on to, uh, to the other company. So we just basically had the chance, because nobody knew what the hell to do with this data. We kind of just okay. got left alone. <laughs> right. Experimented, built stuff. Yeah. And with the idea of build it, see if we can, for Rambo, use it, flog, flog, it as a, yep. flog it as a consultancy. Exactly. And that, that's right. exactly what we did. So... I was really fortunate. Uh, I presented that me, me thesis from my master's at a conference. So again, just with all the network, and there was a guy called Joe Lightfoot, who, uh, you know, very thankful to as well. S similar person, like hadn't really been at the highest level in sports, but wanted to be uh, a sporting director, you right. know. Um, so he basically set up his own stuff to make it 
happen. And he set up this little conference, literally maybe 20 people there presented me thing. And then there, there happened to be like the head of performance. Uh, Everton was there. Uh, right. Yeah, uh, Richie Evans. Uh, so he's now with uh, Roberto Martinez, you know, at Belgium. So, oh, right, okay. Uh, Welsh followed Martinez from Swansea. So he, he was physio at Swansea when Roberto Martinez played there as well. Uh, you know, followed them all the way through. Um, yeah, so he said that this is this is kind of what's in my mind is what you've put down on paper. Right, so, okay. you know, they, we had the chance to do consultation with them. So at that stage, is that the, the you talked about the attractors, repellers, is that the type of thing you present? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So working with him, so we came up with a concept called game intelligence. Um, and what we started to measure was like pressing, uh, but also what was the response to being pressed. So we started to measure, you know, what was the availability of other players? So, you know, where the passing lanes closed down, did the guy panic? Did other players move for him? Did players move for certain players, but not for others? Oh, interesting. So you had all that stuff. What happens when you went one nil up? You know, did it stop working? But we didn't measure it on the physical aspect. We measured it on the movements in terms of getting into good spaces, supporting your player, getting back and blocking off options. Um, So we started working on that that for about, it was probably about two seasons overall. Uh, And yeah, that that was absolutely brilliant experience. Was Was that with evidence data? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. But it was our company who provided us. And as a Liverpool fan, I assumed you skewed it all around and messed it up before they gave it them. There's a reason why they finished fifth and not fourth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. No, yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah, so you get a game, the data dump, they give you the video, and then you, you, you'd analyse. And I assume then, if you're playing Southampton the week after, you'd analyse their, what they're doing and provide no, it to... it wasn't actually for that. Mine was all about uh, what's called post-match analysis. Okay. So, interestingly, post-match analysis about seven, eight years ago wasn't that big a thing. So you do your pre-game and then you go on to the next game. But obviously, if you're going to develop, you have to review what you've done. Again, okay. it's back to those principles about uh, what we're doing on the training pitch, how does it apply to the actual game itself? Uh, and it's exactly the same. So you have to review your process. Otherwise, you mm-hmm. never really learn. Okay. Um, so that's what Everton were really interested in was was doing that post game bit. But what was interesting is that I would never be told what the plan was. I just had to go and look at it. Yeah. And right. they would then compare it and I would never speak to any of the coaches. Okay. It was used it's as a conversation. Bias as you see exactly. it and think and yeah. trying to skew it and not intentionally skew it to say, yeah, you did yeah. that. So obviously, if you speak to the Bears on Martinez and he says, well, I think this, you go, yeah, well, of course, you're right. You know, but that, that's the whole idea. You know, keep, keep that separate. Don't, don't let your opinions be biased. And yeah, it was brilliant. And, you know, we had some phenomenal results with it. Uh, you could really see kind of influence that was going on. Um, and yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah. I presume then, like, you look at and you go and watch it, maybe use Everton example, a game later on, you've been, you looked at, I don't know, I don't know many Everton players because they're, they're, you know, a small team. But uh, the, uh, would you then see Sigginson, for example, and go, well, I've, you know, I've analysed what he does and then you'd, you know, you'd, with your eyes at a game, obviously see that he doesn't close space or whatever he might or might hit those traits, I guess. Yeah. So the, and then you try to back it up. Or, yeah, okay. I mean, my, well, my, this is what I was, you know, you were saying before about God, you know, looking at all that data. But that's kind of what I used to do. So I used to very much ignore the video. Right. What does the data tell us? It's completely unbiased. 
you know, well, apart from your own biases in the models, but that, that's a separate discussion. So what does that tell you first? Uh-huh. Uh, then review the video. Does it line up? Does it bring up something interesting that you'd never even considered rather than just watching it and going, yeah, he did that, he did that. Find me the data to back it up. And did, did you notice that when you gave the feedback, they did actually change. You started to see amendments in the ways for that person, if we're just using Sigerson, how he used to act. And when you would be fed back, he, he did change. Or is it more you found it was instinctive and built in their character to, to still act in that sort of way in those given situations? Yeah, you, you definitely saw changes. And don't get me wrong, there is no way I'd be taking, take, you know, take responsibility for that. Like, what I did might add 1%. Yeah, it's just part of the, yeah, yeah it's part yeah. of the jigsaw. But you definitely saw certain behaviours start to become the norm. Yeah. Into things that you kind of highlight. Yeah. Yeah, and that's got to be great for you as well. As you said, I know you, but even that 1%, that's 1% you've contributed to what? It's, it's almost starting. You know, that. It's changed. Yeah, exactly. It's changing that habit, isn't it? Because I assume coaches are looking at it and going, he's constantly doing this. We need to change that. And therefore, then they you know, obviously tra- train them to to adjust accordingly or adjust that habit. If it's a, say it's a bad habit, what they might do might not track back for certain, certain situations. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that, that was a great experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And is that still that same principle you're still doing at the moment with the. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of moved on now. So, right. um, so we worked with Prozone and then, uh, we got bought out by, uh, been there for three mergers now. Uh, but we got bought by a French company uh, called Amisco. So they were like massive on the subcontinent. And then things kind of stagnated a little bit. Um, but we eventually got bought by this company, Stats. So Stats is the Moneyball company, basically. And um, so they're based in Chicago. Uh, so they were like the biggest you know, sports data company uh, in America. They did all you know, baseball, American football and that. And uh, they'd hired a guy called Patrick Lucy. Um, so I'd met Patrick Lucy maybe two years before at a conference and he'd worked with some of our data. So this guy, uh, was head of, um, research at Disney, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, Disney only SPN. Right. So he initially, he was brought in really. So his background is in facial recognition and, uh, construction, uh, using cameras to automatically detect emotion on the face. Right. Um, so like he, the guy's a genius you know he's just a world leader in what he used to do oh, sorry in that sport he, he, an even bigger world leader in sports data um, and yes but he loves sports so he's Australian so right. uh, loves cricket you know loves football loves, loves rugby um, and he said on the side if you let me do some sports stuff I'll do all this other stuff but just let me do some sports stuff as well and then, uh, so like he had creates automatic um, camera, but you know it would be automatic broadcast footage basically uh, from okay. cameras. So it would just follow it. But um, so he started uh, doing research on football, and he um, created this algorithm to be able to automatically detect formations. Um, so this is one of the hardest things to do in football, uh, and like people pay. Like clubs pay people specifically to watch a game to say what formation is a team in now, and he solved it <laughs> by using this tracking data. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, the, so the tracking data is that kind of then it tra- obviously attracts this built-in AI that then statistically, I presume, based off previous data and what's going on the pitch, will say they're playing whatever, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. In real time, uh, it can be used in real time as well. Yeah. 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 
Wow. So, you know, so this was a massive game changer uh, for everything. So he then was brought in as their head of stats to be head of uh, AI, basically. And, uh, you know, he kept myself and uh, Hector on, which was great. And then we just built this team. And it went from, I had an option to go down more like the applied routes, but maybe never, ever learning. You know, you just consult and never learn or go into this AI team and really learn all these new advanced techniques. Uh, so I was like, that's what I really want to do. You know, I want to keep on learning to be the best I could possibly try try to be. Because um, I didn't feel, because I'd only been doing it for three years. So while I was old, you know, I was quite young in the industry. So yeah, yeah that chance to work with him and learn was, was massive. So that that's very much what I do now. It's very much research driven, but all the research now goes into products. So yeah. So if I can just go back, um, what you said, the teams always want to know, and it was something they couldn't do in terms of spotting a formation live. Are you, how is that a problem? Because uh, again, I'm talking from the person who sits on an armchair and watches it, and when you hear the guys in the commentary and said, "Oh, they switched to a four-five-two or whatever, or four, whatever it was, four-four-two, four-five-one." Just because they made, off, they made a switch or someone sat, someone's, yeah, I know, that's why I was saying, like, <laughs> it shows how much I know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realise it was, that was such a, important piece of data, big, I guess. Big need or someone yeah. was looking at it because, or whether, again, because these commentators just said, oh yeah, they just switched or things like that. Um, so a simple example would be, you know, you said there, so say you had a 3-5-2 versus a 4-4-2. So, if I said to you, you've got three defenders versus four defenders, what's, what would be the biggest difference, do you think, yourself? What would you say, if I'm attacking a three versus a four, where would I try to attack more? Yeah, try to go down the outside, I assume. So, completely changes the behaviour. But also, it then means, if they've got three and I've got two, two of them can man-mark my guys. So, right. I've got nobody free to pass to. So, I've then got to adapt. So, I might put three on. So, they're not going to go three against three. So they might have to drop somebody back, you know. Right. So it, that that's why it's just so important to understand what's going on. Right. But okay. Like that drives the context of how you analyze what's going on, basically. And then I presume you bleed in the behavior because the behavior of the you know this three on three, the behavior of you know that centre back, his behavior is not to not to be an attractor, is to be a repeller type of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. All okay. Type principles. Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah no, no, very interesting. Yeah. So I was reading. Uh, I was reading through, so so this is obviously football we've been talking about. What With the role you're in now, do you work within other sports or is that just? So it's pr- football is the, is the main one. Right. Uh, obviously it's the biggest sport, uh, but we also do stuff in like, you know, cricket, uh, basketball, rugby. We work in all sports, but right. in terms of my, my group's focus, that is mainly cricket, football, uh, rugby, uh, basketball are our main focuses. So maybe picking up on quickly on a couple of them, if you look at cricket, that might be where you know a bowler will typically bowl here and looking at, again, you on the TV, you see, you know, this is the pitch marks of his various balls. So that that's, again, they'll be analysing mass amount of data saying where he typically yeah. typically bowls it to. So what, what we've done, so there's a massive sports conference called uh, Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. It's like the biggest one in the world. Uh, we had a, a paper that was like one of the, the like eight, top papers this year or technically yeah it was this year at it but for cricket so you can imagine trying to talk cricket to a bunch of Americans <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting see it's like baseball 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the whole idea is, and this is what, you know, a lot of my research is being focused on and what our group does, is uh, so if you, you take a prediction, a lot of the time you're predicting on average this is what's going to happen. Yeah. That's basically what a prediction is. Um, but the issue is if I have a different player in that situation, it should completely change the chances. So if you use a football analogy, if I have Jordan Henderson, obviously no disrespect to Hendo, compared to Messi taking a shot, you, this yeah. Messi's chance should be higher. Yeah. But current models don't do that. They just tell you, well, on average, you know, you, you'll okay. score five times out of ten, for argument's sake. So this is the work that we do. Uh, so we've done it in goalkeepers, done it in strikers, but we did it in cricket. So, you know, given the current situation... Uh, and the type of ball uh, that the ball has made, what type of shot do we expect that player to make? So we use like the Ben Stokes super over uh, from the Cricket World Cup as the example, okay. and show that where kind of New Zealand went wrong, because you could have used it as like a pre-game tactic, or you know you might say right, what do we want to bowl? We're going to do this. Well, actually, this is the type of field we should set up because we know he's going to hit it here and here compared to doing this type of ball. Well, actually, we'll set it up here. And right. yeah, that you know, so that's the type of stuff that we do in crickets as well. All right, okay. So very interesting. So the other bits I was then looking on the website was around. Well, actually, I have interest that kind of data. Then, the betting companies are they interested in that kind of data? Yeah. So we start to work. We're working with betting companies as well. Okay. So initially, it was very much just provide data, but now we're actually helping you know create models uh, specifically for that that area as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did I read on the on the website again? Maybe it was within within the business as well. You you then maybe have advertisers as well in regard to being able to give them data to um, perhaps optimize the time they're promoting their products, etc. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it just permeates everything. It's mad. Uh, like there's a huge, really successful one in uh, in America. So working, I think it's Xfinity is one of their big TV and or internet companies, and it was doing like targeted adverts. Uh, with football data and you know they were finding that it was increasing engagement you know people were watching more you know willing to spend more uh, another one that uh, the guys did uh, was with Budweiser so it was looking at um, what was it was it I think it was the NFL I can't remember I think we did it in multiple sports but when a certain event happened everyone's lights in the bars uh, so you have lights in the bottom of your pint glass so whenever, like, say, you know, a touchdown was scored, the lights would go off, and then that would mean it's like happy hour at the bar, or um, right. like that as well. So that was uh, that was actually with Budweiser light, hence the light in the bar. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh right. Okay. Oh yeah. right. Okay. Wow. So yeah, I mean, you look at anything now, data's you know such a massive, you know, any part of life, it's such yeah. a. I can't remember who's which CEO said it, but you know, they said basically data's the new oil. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like Google, Facebook, Amazon, these are the biggest companies in the world. Know more about you than you know about yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's because they have huge data, and you know that that's basically the way the world's gone now. And just to go back to earlier, you mentioned about analysing data, and then you you mentioned about having data bias, even though you hadn't spoke to the coaches. You had this data bias again is that just again something built in everyone's psychology, and it's trying to eliminate that that risk of your own buyers coming in exactly exactly yeah and uh, this is a uh, just a really interesting uh area of research by itself um so yeah. like if you leave sports at the moment so um 
like you see a lot of AI being used, facial tracking and tracking people now and then predicting how people are going to behave or what their emotions are. But the vast majority, so you have like uh, your training data. Uh, so you have to have something to train on for your model to be able to predict what's going to happen next. Now, you'd imagine a lot of this stuff is actually based on, say, if it's facial recognition, it's based on pictures of lots of white people. Yeah. Of course, you know, when you look at other ethnicities or whatever, mm. it's suddenly biases there. Uh, right. You know, there's okay. a simple thing like a hand dryer. And, uh, you know, they had, I think, a guy put on, you know, a pair of white gloves and it worked, took it off, didn't work. Oh, right. Okay. Pigmentation. So oh. it, that's a massive thing. You know, that's not really, you know, to do with sports, but this is just the whole issue with AI and modeling full stop at the moment is this, you know, uh, bias that that's within models. <laughs> right. Okay. Imagine AIs are like a similar to maybe when you watch Moneyball and start going down this rabbit hole. I yeah. imagine AI is probably similar in regard to... Yeah, yeah. I think people do. get a little bit more scared of it. You know, we, we definitely haven't made Terminator 2, you know? No, no, <laughs> but, no, no. Uh, There's some very cool stuff out there, yeah. And and what we do in, I say, in the Western world compared to... So you talk about facial recognition then, you know, mm. in, in more police states like China and things like that. Is that the type of thing that that technology is... That's what they use down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a lot of it as well is used, so... A lot of the technology we use is the same stuff for the, you know, automated cars that they have. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're using similar technology to that as well, similar modeling techniques. So you're talking yeah. about also Tesla type of autopilot cars. Exactly. Oh, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Interesting. Wow, that's another wormhole I could quite happily <laughs> kill another round. And one other question I just have about your present job, again, I was reading on the website about, I think it was, a, was it maybe a case study, it was an Italian player and you guys provide data to him, which goes straight onto his social media channel channels. I can't think of his name. Uh, but I'm, I'm not very good at Italian. Bonucci, is it? Something like that? Bonucci. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I, I'm not involved in that side too much. Right. But, but again, I presume it's that type of thing where it's all automated. It tracks his running, tracks what he does, passes, etc. And then immediately at the end of the game, it just, I suppose, feeds into something that fires out tweets and you, yeah. you know, uses it for his brand awareness, I guess, or whatever the right yeah. word is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Probably it's basic crazy. stuff for you lot, but yeah, it's, it's crazy the stuff that we're doing. So another thing that we're working on right now. So we've done it in basketball initially, uh, but is uh, being able to like detect the skeleton uh, just through video now. So like you oh, know. Right. Like, say, if us three were sat here, you know, we'd be able to detect the face, the shoulders, the hands, the elbows. And mm. that's, like, the next leap in terms of data that will be available. So, at the moment, the advanced thing is knowing where everybody is on the pitch. But what we're going to do, and this is what we used in our goalkeeper work, looking at penalties, is understanding the whole body mechanics and how that moves as well. Okay. And how how do you apply that? How do you see that being applied? So, yeah, great, yeah. I move this way. How, how, would that, how would that apply? So uh, for me, this is actually the really exciting stuff. Um, I mean, what we do anyway is really cool. But coaches still talk about body shape, you know, body positioning. You know, so if I'm a centre forward and I've got a defender, you know, without us getting up out of the chair, you know, how do I hold my arm? How do I crouch down? Am I receiving with the outside of the foot, the inside of the foot? Are my feet well balanced? Um, all these type of things now, we will in the next couple of years be able to start to analyse. As well, I take, it, but, uh, I take it in that instance where I'm just talking about looking at skeletal and drilling it down as close as possible. So even to the way that the goalkeeper may be 
when he knows he's going to dive left, he may slightly, you know, subconsciously his body, you know, at the minimal level that you couldn't see at eye level, and that when he gets that skeletal love, he's you can see him, you know, yep. slightly leaning. You know, he's going to do that. Similarly with the football, you know, that get into that, so you can. So that that was the the, the principle of looking at uh, penalties. So, uh, you know, we used that on penalties and uh, I was really made up in the research paper because I managed to get the line in that hips don't lie. (laughs) 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 uh, What we were finding is is that uh, it's the hips tell you basically where the ball's going to be struck. Oh, interesting. Okay. What you then get is like over-exaggerations. So when somebody does an over-exaggeration that way... Mm. um, they're basically going to put it in the other corner. Right, okay. It was the same with the, I can't remember what was the other, like leaning back and stuff like that. So that was all the tells for the goalkeeper to know where the ball yeah, yeah, was okay. Yeah. And those, as they, they get more, I suppose, finite, those tells, it's just, tra- again, training the keeper to try and pick up on those things in those situations. Yeah. And then the yeah, beauty okay. should be then that, uh, you know, if that becomes public knowledge, does that then change penalty taking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then you have to learn it all again and it's just yeah, that yeah. You know, continuous cycle yeah, yeah, yeah. I also guess it's going to be quite hard because suddenly you've got information overload for a goalkeeper for something that going to, is going to happen in a second or something yeah, like yeah. Or two to try and pick up on about 10 things he's been told while actually remembering to dive the right way I presume that's again trying to build that in so it becomes a yeah, yeah. it's just a, a psychological psychology yeah, you know, yeah. recognize the situation and act. Don't yeah. look, think, then act. It's too late. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is like so. One of the best clubs in the world for all this is Ajax. Uh, so they have their own like biomechanics lab. Uh, some of the world leading data scientists there, um, and they, you know, they'll get all the guys in. And you see, I think you might have seen like if you've seen pictures of Ronaldo getting ready to play FIFA. Uh, like they put all these like you know yeah. bubbles on him, which tracks the whole skeleton. That that's kind of what we do now automatically. But they were doing that with their players, so actually with the goalkeepers, and it was looking at the angle that they were striking the ball to get the optimal distance, but not just to get it long, but the speed. So you know, like a golf shot. Yeah, right. They were trying to apply those principles to striking the ball, so they right. bounce the attack quicker. And like it took like months, I think, for them to get this little bit of information. But it was just distilled so simply to the player, and that—that's the key thing. Plant showed them all these charts and that. Yeah. It has to be a real small bit of information that they just take on, and then it's all about session design around that bit of information. To to yeah, to get it into the to the mindset of yeah, or just so it sort of becomes subconscious. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So generally, just taking up a lot of your time but as I say I could probably take up another two hours but just applying that that those general principles around what you do data wise when you apply that it's totally switching subjects but an interest of mine in regard to business and then that psychology of you know winning business doing business meeting people networking do you see a, a, or is that something that's done now in, in, in business yeah, so uh, yeah, ma- massively. Uh, so business is a big driver, particularly, you know, finance, you know, because, you know, got to make money. Um, so that, that you know, they're particularly in banking, et cetera, you know. Yeah, so look at like FX traders. I think a lot, I think a lot of that's done around that behavioral kind of. Yeah, yeah, behavioral economics and right. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so if you've heard of the book, Think Fast, Think Slow, 
Um, so that uh, Daniel Kalaman, so like they just won the Nobel laureate for like economics last year or two years ago. Uh, so they read any of their stuff. Uh, uh, in fact, the guy who wrote Moneyball uh, has done a book about Daniel Kalaman as well. So that that's a great read. Okay. Uh, we'll stick them in our four. Yeah, they're, they're definitely worth a read. Um, yeah, but like it's it's just kind of whole AI powered decision making recommendation, you know. So ironically, some of the biggest uh, developers in this are you know. So it's Google, but it's it's like um, Netflix. <laughs> so just to be able to recommend to you a video, and I don't particularly think the recommendations are great, but. The amount of like AI and research that goes into this is huge. Yeah, right. Because um, obviously, there's so much money in one person making one click. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Similar, I presume you're on Facebook and you get these things that you perhaps spoke about earlier. It's picking up the information, yeah. sorting sort out for you, and right, okay. Yeah. So, like, if you took all the brains, that's probably trying to analyze advertising data. You, you could probably solve world poverty. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing uh, great no well I don't know if you have anything more Matt um, well I probably do but I could appreciate it. I can't keep it all night yeah let's go go quick one so if you were able to what sort of area or kind of I'll just say area because I don't want to get too specific would you want to look at next in terms of sport is there a specific behaviour or pattern or something that you would like to kind of, if you had that data to delve in and, and look at next? Yeah. So like the, it's actually part of research I'm doing now, um, which is fortunate, but <laughs> it, it's all about, so like the, the biggest uh, area of risk in football is, is transfers. You know, are you going to buy Luis Suarez or Jose Altador? Uh, that, that's the biggest thing. So Suarez went on to be one of their modern great centre forwards. Jose Altador scored as many goals as Suarez in the Dutch league, but didn't score a single Premier League goal for Sunderland. (laughs) So how do you manage that risk? So this is kind of the stuff we're doing now is can we simulate, given a player who's played in this team, can we lift them up, move them from a different country, plop them in this team, this manager, you know, with this culture, with these players, and then say, how is this guy playing? How do we expect them to play? But not just that. How will he influence everybody else on his team? And not just that, how will he influence everyone on the other team? Right. That's Jesus. simple, yeah. 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 <laughs> so th- this is the work that we're, we're doing at the moment. And I just think that's, that's really, really cool. Mm. And, how, and is that then, is that kind of mapped off historic? So using the example you went there, you'll look at what happened in that situation and all the many factors yeah. and map that out. And obviously another 50, 100 scenarios like that and try and find these consistent themes I guess that either work or don't work in the scenarios basically yeah right. but obviously the biggest issue is that um, so it's, it's a, football's very data poor in terms of like you know you think we've only collected data for 10 years which sounds like a lot but in 10 years there might have only been 60 people go from Holland to the yeah. Premier League and out of that there's only there's 10 strikers so how the hell do you actually look at that because half of them are good half of them are crap yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. so that that's the real challenge about how do you learn that how do you control for those situations so yeah yeah that it's it's a massive problem but one that that's very cool to try and solve yeah yeah okay interesting well thanks for your time it's been uh fascinating yeah. to say the least 
Yeah, no worries. Yeah, sure a lot more. No, no worries. And the books you mentioned there are st- for our for our listeners and people who are watching on YouTube. Uh, I'll, we'll stick them in a the footer. So if you want to look them up, I'm already going to look back. Think fast, think slow. No, think fast, think slow. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Look yeah. that up. So yeah, thanks for your time. Do you want to check us out, Matt? Yeah. So um, wherever you're watching or listening today, please like, subscribe, share, and hit that uh, five-star review pretty please on social media facebook with the m word podcast twitter max sports pod and on instagram we are the m word iom cheers matt i hope you sexy people found that good thanks for letting us in your ears it's word out from on and word out from matt